Welcome to RNI Soundbites. This is a new series of podcasts from the Linklaters RNI team. It's designed to bring you timely updates and commentary on the hot topics in the RNI world. Today, we're going to be talking about the new reforms to connected party prepack admin sales. This will apply to all administrations commenced after 30th of April this year. So basically from now on um, and to talk uh, a little more about what these reforms mean in practice. I ought to introduce myself. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. I'm one of the co-heads of our global restructuring group, but I'm also joined by my colleagues, Damien Gomez, Max Krasner and Paul Seidel. Why don't you introduce yourselves so that the listeners can recognize your voices? Thanks, Rebecca. So I'm Damien. I am a partner in our R&I practice in London. And uh, I'm Max Krasner, a managing associate in the R&I practice in London too. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul and I'm counsel PSL in the practice in London as well. Great, thanks. So kicking right into the content, Damien, why don't you start the discussion by giving us a brief overview of the background to the reforms. Sure. So the concern, I think, has always been around a perceived lack of transparency in, in prepackaged insolvency sales, particularly where the purchaser is under common management or ownership with the insolvent entity. Um, I think it's important to put these sales in context. They represent only, I think, 2% of all corporate insolvencies, but the concern is sufficient for repeated attempts at governmental soul searching and, and parliamentary action. And even now with these new sets of reforms, the government has said that, that if these reforms look like they're not working, they may look at all of this again, even going as far as potentially in the future banning connected party prepacks. Equally, they might adjust these regulations if it looks as if they are missing the mark and they are in fact impeding business rescue. So that the the, well, I, was, I was about to say current, but right now the old regime to deal with all of this um, was was the prepack pool, which was a non-mandatory process whereby you could refer a connected party prepack to the pool for a green light um, or a red light or an amber light. Not that any of this would be in any way binding, but as I said, all of this was entirely voluntary. And the prepack pool has been used, shall we say, sparingly. So in 2019, out of a possible 260 eligible connected pre, um, connected party prepacks only on 23 occasions was an opinion sought from the prepack pool. So these new proposals introduce some mandatory rules. And as I said, they've just come into effect. So they apply to all administrations commenced after the 30th of April, 2021. And the rule, is, and the rule, the, the rules basically say that an administrator, so not a liquidator or a receiver, but an administrator must not affect a substantial disposal to a, to a connected person within the first eight weeks of, the, of that administrator's appointment without either approval of the creditors or an independent written opinion obtained by the purchaser. The approval of creditors option isn't really going to be feasible, I don't think, in many cases. It doesn't really apply to, to sort of true prepacks because this would be a decision procedure post-appointment under the Insolvency Act and the Insolvency Rules. So in the cases of a true prepack, compliance with the regulations, I think, will more likely focus on the option of obtaining a report from an evaluator. So bearing all of that in mind, 
Um, Max, I think you've been looking at what the role of the evaluator might entail in practice. Yeah, thanks. So um, uh, effectively, the evaluator uh, should sort of operate in a similar way to the prepack pool, although as Damien flagged, it's, uh, this is now a mandatory process. And essentially, a would-be purchaser approaches an evaluator and asks him or her to prepare a report, and that report is shared with the administrator prior to the sale. And in a nutshell, the report will conclude whether, um, one, the consideration given by the buyer, and then two, the grounds for the substantial disposal um, are considered to be reasonable or not. Um, and then the evaluator will need to go into their in uh, sufficient detail in their report to explain uh, the basis for coming to their conclusion and the evidence that they've relied on. Now, as Damien said, I mean, all of that's aimed at increasing transparency and adding a, le a level of scrutiny to um, connected party prepacks. Um, but I suppose the independence point, it's, it's fair to say, is quite clearly sort of um, um, implemented through the regulations by um, setting out quite clearly a long list of people who can't be an evaluator. So it can't be the administrator, it can't be um, someone who's advised on the deal, it can't be someone who's had a role in the past acting for the company. Um, so, you know, that that sort of narrows down the list of people who it, who it can be. Um, I mean, I think we, we had some views when these regulations were in draft as to who it's likely um, would take up the evaluator roles. But um, I don't know, Paul, I don't know if you've been looking more recently into who who we think that might be now that we're post 30th of April. Yeah, thanks, Max. So, well, I, guess, I mean, I guess the first point is there aren't any formal qualifications that someone needs to meet to be to be an evaluator. They, they just need to be able to self-certify, really, that they've got the experience and the knowledge sufficient to prepare the report. Um, I think what's interesting is there's, there's no reason why the buyer couldn't consult in advance with the administrator. Um, as to who they think the best evaluator for the particular prepack might be. And I know that the, the government have published guidance to sit alongside the regulations and that they talk about potentially accountants or surveyors or even lawyers, heaven forbid, um, or IPs being, being um, uh, an evaluator. Personally, I think in practice, we're probably going to see the role of the prepack pool um, take on much of the evaluator work, particularly for the larger sorts of prepack transactions, obviously recognizing it will be a competitive market. But the advantage of the pool, of course, is that they've they've already got a large panel of members, they're well known, they're, they're very experienced, and it really it's a natural development of the role that Damien, you were talking about beforehand and the, the voluntary system. Um, I think perhaps maybe if you had a more of a niche or specialist prepack, there may be um, situations where people would look outside of the prepack pool. But th that will clearly be an area um, just to keep an eye on. I mean, I guess that's who will be the evaluator. And I think one of the other interesting points we're going to need to look out for is, you know, what exactly are they going to be looking um, looking for in terms of information? What is it that they will need? And I think it is pretty clear that because Max, like you were saying, that they will be looking at the reasonableness of the consideration. There probably will be some pressure to towards providing third party valuations and marketing materials for for example so to what extent will the evaluator actually be getting in touch themselves with the administrator will the administrator feel comfortable um sharing evaluations that they've received perhaps if they're subject to confidentiality requirements that that, that might be something that, that develops um but really all the all these practical issues is, 
they're going to have to be dealt with in a very short short time frame before execution. So that that's going to be one of the things that we're going to have to look out for. Yes, I think that's right, Paul. So I think I think I think there are some obvious practical questions that, that come to mind. And as with all of these things, practice will develop around this. I think once the regulations are are effectively tested a few times. So the first question I think that will need to be asked in any prepack, given these requirements are mandatory for connected party prepacks, is if there's a connected party prepack. I think we're going to come on in this podcast to talk about the connected party test, but sometimes the analysis will be simple, and sometimes it will be a bit more of an involved and complex analysis. Um, and assuming this is a connected party prepack and, and creditor approval isn't the chosen option, who will you pick as an evaluator? Um, and Paul, you talked about the possibility of of, of, of using using the prepack pool, and I think if if you do go down the route of the prepack pool, they have confirmed um, that they will they will provide a response within within forty eight hours, and I presume there will be a list of um, of specified information that that you need to provide them as a bare minimum. But regardless of of, of who is chosen as the evaluator, there are practical questions as to how much lead in time. You give them when you need to start the process, what information you need to provide them, what information can you provide them, whether there will be continuing dialogue and a bit of a back and forth, or whether it's essentially an information dump and then you wait for the response back. What will the cost be? Now we know what the cost for the prepack pool is. I think I think they've come up with with a thousand five hundred pounds. Um, if you go with someone else, that 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 might be considerably higher. Will these costs be factored into the transaction and possibly the purchase price? Um, and I think another key question is, is, is how much time do you need to build into the process if the report is negative? If the report is negative, an administrator can still proceed with the sale, um, but the administrator will need to consider the basis for that negative opinion and essentially provide their reasons as to why they are continuing, notwithstanding the result of the report. And the administrators might need to build in time prior to their appointment and affecting transaction if that is a route they 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 intend to go down. That's interesting. So I suppose you can see there that there's a an element of risk for a, an administrator if they you know want to stick their neck out and approve a transaction even if the report uh, comes back with a, a red light. And um, you know, we were looking at this, uh, the, the regulations through that lens as well. What are the risks for the administrators here? One thing that we sort of identified was um, that, you know, that point Paul mentioned about there being a, a degree of consultation between the buyer and the administrator to make sure that the administrator is comfortable with who the evaluator um, is. And that idea is baked into the regulations a little bit because in order to be appropriately qualified, um, the evaluator, um, well, the administrators have to be satisfied that the evaluator um, has no reason to believe that the individual uh, doesn't meet the requirements, which implies that um, the administrators need to have sort of, you know, kicked the tyres and lifted the hood under the um, the evaluator's qualifications. And that will be quite straightforward where it's the um, the prepack pool, one would think, but also um, it might just depend on on the industry and the type of business and the, the the nature of the assets being sold and the consideration because you might really need quite specialized skills to um you know come to a, an informed opinion as to whether the the consideration given is reasonable or whether the grounds for disposable disposal is is reasonable um, and and these are all questions that the administrators will need to consider interesting stuff so I think 
when we've been discussing uh, this internally, Damien, you mentioned you were involved in a matter um, where you were considering this. Are there any particular changes you might um, think about making to an SPA to, to deal with some of the issues that this, this new legislation throws up? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Rebecca, and it's something that we've, that we've given some thought to. So, I mean, the big caveat is that it's obviously early days um, and we will see in, in sort of weeks and months to come how, how this pans out. But because of the possibility that um, any fear will be void for a breach of these regulations, it'll be interesting to see if we, we start to see some form of condition subsequent around the sale not being voided within a defined time period, essentially a contractual clawback, if you will, if the sale is voided as a matter of law. I think it'll be also interesting to see if prefect SPAs start to feature indemnities in favor of administrators to expressly cover any action that the administrators might be subject to on the basis that they had reached the wrong conclusion as to the qualifications of the evaluator given Max's comments earlier. And the final thing um, that will be interesting to see is whether we start to see representations from the buyer as to the evaluator's independence from, from, from the buyer and the buyer's group. Now, obviously that's less relevant for, for a situation where you're using the prepack pool, but if you're using someone else, that might be some, that might be a form of comfort that the administrator requires. So, so all these things, basically, providing hurdles to doing deals with connected parties, who in some cases may be the only buyers, uh, or if not providing hurdles, certainly delaying things, which may well put the transaction at risk potentially. Um, so, so taking a step back, or if you like, going back to the beginning, as these regulations only apply to connected party prepacks, um, what is a connected party? Is there any guidance? What about secured parties? They always get rather excited around the idea that if they exercise their rights, that in some way may make them connected in, in other areas like pensions. So, Paul, do you have any views on this? Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. So it, it's an interesting one. Obviously, the the legislation does give a definition of who would constitute a connected person, and that's set out in uh, Schedule B1. The, the difficulty is, of course, is it's as everyone knows that the, who precisely is connected or associated is always a very complex test, and the connected person definition borrows some of those concepts. So you know, we will be looking at some of the similar similar case law. I think what might be helpful is just to give three very clear examples of where, well, at least two clear examples and one where, where it's perhaps less clear, where, where the buyer may well be a connected person. The first would be where the buyer and the seller have common directors. It's clear from the drafting in, in that case, as you would expect, that the, the buyer in that case would be a connected person. So we'd need to go down the, the creditor approval or evaluator route. The other situation would be where you had common shareholders. So perhaps the, the Bidco is a common uh, private equity portfolio company, for example, under the same ownership uh, as the seller. In that case, they, they, they would seem to be clearly connected. So again, the regulations would apply. The, the point you mentioned about security um, was quite a lively one, and it came up in lots of the debates um, in the Commons and in, and in the Lords. But I think where 
the regulations have settled is, is there it there is a potential for a where a loan to own vehicle um owned by secured creditors who had security over the sh the shares in the seller that that loan to own vehicle will be a connected person for the purposes of the regulations now obviously we have to wait and see um to the extent this ever got tested in the courts but i think the sensible approach initially would be to view those that buyer as a connected person under the regulations. Um, I think some of the difficulties with the definition will need to be threshed out over time. There are there are some challenges in interpreting the new new rules, particularly um, when deciding how far you should look back for a connection. For example, if you've got um, somebody who was a director of the seller, say ten years ago. Potentially on one interpretation of the regulations, if they're a director of the buyer today, that may make the buyer a connected person, even though that's not particularly a substantial connection. There are, there are lots, there are a few issues like that that I think people just need to take some time and consider. And um, the government has made clear that it's willing to to amend the regulations and amend the guidance as and when they, um, if problems arise. Thanks, Paul, and thanks to all our contributors during today's conversation. To our listeners, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do hit the subscribe button in Spotify. And don't forget to check out the Linklaters Knowledge Portal at linklaters.com forward slash knowledge, where you will find a wealth of know-how materials on a variety of topics. You can also subscribe to our sister publication, RNI bite size through our website linklaters.com. Thank you.